Uh, this morning we will be talking about accountability for your joy. <clears throat> our key words for our worshipers in training are sin, accountable, and joy. Accountable for your joy. Now, we ended last week uh, con- uh, with a challenge to all of us uh, that we would be known. That we would simply be known. In other words, that we would, we would plug in, and that we would share our lives together, that we would get in front of others and be known. And I, I mentioned that the only, the only way to encourage others or to be encouraged by others is to truly know and to truly be known. And this is the only path to true community. And so we're going to continue on that thought with a little more depth this morning. We're in the middle uh, of our series called Life Together. We're focusing on three elements of life together, community, truth, and mission. And we're closing out the section on community this morning and next Sunday we will move into truth. So we're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to push in a little bit harder and our focus this morning will be on Accountability, our need for accountability. Now, it seems to me like most Christians fall in one or one of two categories when it comes to accountability for the most part. Either we don't do it at all, or we're, uh, we're sort of going along and, and living and working it out like a, a referee. And I'll explain that in just a moment. So there are some who, who simply don't do it at all. There's no focus, there's no intentionality about accountability. So they keep to themselves, they're never known by anyone, they never confess any sin, never ask any questions of other believers, and when sin is known in another, they simply don't address it, because after all, no one's perfect, I'm not perfect, so who am I to say anything? This is, this is one category many Christians find themselves in. The other is uh, referees. This isn't my illustration, but it's, it's great, it's very helpful. What does a referee do? They run up and down the field or the court and they blow the whistle when they see a foul and they never, no one, no one questions the call and if you do question it, they will tell you very firmly that they are correct and so they just point out fouls. They never play the game. They're not encouraging those who are playing the game. They're not affected by the victory or the loss. They're just calling fouls. I think that's the other category. The eye is always on what's wrong, what's going to happen that I can call out. Never committing the fouls, but just calling them. So some of us are spectators and some of us are, are like referees, but we we got to be in it. We, we have to be in it. We've got to play. And according to part of the covenant of the members of this church that we make with one another, accountability is a big part of what it is to be in it. And I see this clearly in the Scriptures. So let's, let's look at that. But when, when we talk about accountability, most people think we're going negative, Right? That never is something we hear and we just think, oh, that's what I want. I want a lot of accountability in my life. We automatically assume 
negative. It's something none of us want, something none of us want to hear about, but I hope that this morning we can see that accountability is a good thing, and it's right, and it's important, and God has designed it for our joy. So, we're going to start in James chapter 5 and look at verse 16. James 5:16. James writes, "Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So important here as we understand the broad context of what James is talking about here, namely sickness and prayer and sin and how all of this works together. This is, he's talking here about uh, what is called the prayer of faith, praying for those who are sick and seeing them healed. But in the middle of that, he tells the believers to confess their sins to one another and pray for one another. So I want to focus on the implication of what James is writing here, namely that in Christian community, there will be accountability. And in that, we will be confessing sins to one another and hearing the confessions of others. And additionally, we will be intentional about pursuing our brothers and our sisters who are in sin to see in their lives restoration and wholeness in the body of Christ. He goes on from 16, he says, Elijah in 17 was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So he's attesting to the power of prayer. And then he goes on in 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so he's calling the church to intentional pursuit of those who are in sin. Bring them back to the truth. Okay, listen. All that we've talked about over the last four weeks. We can be in a small group. We can have people in our homes day after day after day. We can be at everything that we do as a church together. We can be every time the doors are open. We can be here and be around other people. And in the midst of all of that, we can still be completely and utterly alone. How so? Because you've never actually allowed anyone to truly know you. Something really strange seems to happen amongst Christians. Sometimes where we talk about being sinners in need of a Savior, but we never actually admit to any sin. So we sort of give this lip service to a concept, but we live in a way as to convince others that we have attained some level of sinless perfection. So what ends up happening, look, this is very common in 
American evangelicalism. What ends up happening is that the cross of Christ is minimized and moralism is elevated, so Christianity becomes a religious system where the goal is simply to try harder and do better at being good. And so grace is just sort of this little push to get us over the hump at the end. But here's the problem. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is recognizing that I too am affected by the fall. Just like everyone else. And I am filled with sin. And I confess that sin Regularly to God and, yes, to others for my own good. Because it is constantly putting me back on track to see my need for the cross of Christ. It's not there to give us an extra push. Or to give us any hope at all before a holy and righteous and perfect God. So I suspect that most Christians are afraid of truly being known because of some desire to be seen as sinless in a group of others who are seeking the very same thing. So eventually what happens in the community, there's developed this facade. And it And it's not safe to admit sins and temptations because unrighteous judgment is soon to follow right after. Now look, I understand for all of us that in the midst of this is pride. Pride is an issue that all of us are going to deal with at some level. We don't want our sin known because of pride, even when we recognize it is killing us because we're prideful. But that sin also could be dealt with in safe community where we are truly known and we are longing to be known and to know others. And until that happens, we're sort of all a part of this big stage production. Right? We're all a bunch of actors putting on a show for each other to see and in some ways thinking we're earning some kind of favor with God. Commenting on this concept, James 5.16, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this in his book Life Together. He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy, 
The fact is that we are sinners. But it is the grace of the gospel which is so hard for the pious to understand that it confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great, desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice or a work. He wants you alone. All sham was ended in the presence of Of Christ. In other words, to not be accountable is to deny our need for the cross, which ironically is our only claim with any hope, and it should humble us to the dust. Instead, I think most of us probably need a constant reminder of 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And His Word is not in us. So it is through constant consistent, gospel-oriented accountability that we are able to do all of these things that we've talked about over the last four weeks and make it work. Accountability is the breakthrough to genuine gospel community. That's where it takes place. And until then, we're simply a gathering of individuals, not a family of faith. Here's what inevitably happens in a community void of accountability. It begins in individuals, but then eventually and very quickly it spreads like a cancer throughout the body. Sin's greatest strength is in isolation. So the more alone a man is in his sin, the more destructive it becomes. And there are no exceptions to this. The more alone you are, the more involved you are in sin. Sin's very desire is to be unknown, to be in the dark. And yet the Bible clearly reminds us that sin is constantly crouching at the door. And we will not win over it when we remain in the darkness. It is impossible. This is the very scheme of the devil, right? His plan is to get churches off mission. Off what they're commanded to do so that they will self-destruct. Where does it start? It starts in individuals who are not accountable to one another. And sometimes within weeks or even days, it goes unchecked and the result is church splits and division and wars and devastating endings. This is the dark side to community. It's very possible that we could build one-on-one relationships. We can have people in our homes. We can be engaged with our family. We can participate in small groups. And in all of this, be engaged in conversations that we have no business having in the first place. 
Because either it's gossip, or we're talking out of naive ignorance, or we're seeking to persuade a weaker brother, or whatever it is. Whatever the reason, if it goes unchecked, if there is no accountability, it's simply a a loose thread that we're pulling on. It will come unraveled. Now, I've I've been there. I know know the deal. We might kind of test the water with our toe first, right? Kind of stand on the edge and see what happens. And then we realize there's no accountability there. So eventually we start to get in and we get deeper and deeper. And then we're swimming in the deep end. And we don't even realize that we're swimming in a sewage pond until we're already worn out from swimming in it all day long. This is absolutely destructive. And the Bible warns us about it time and time again. Let's look at a few examples. Romans 16. Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Titus chapter 3. Verses 9 through 11. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now back to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you have asked wrongly to spend it on your own passion. So, you know what this tells me as we look? This is just a small sampling of the Scriptures. There will be wolves in the midst of sheep. You don't let wolves play with sheep, right? Listen, look at, look at me. If your intention is to stir up controversy, if your desire is to cause dissension and spread deceit, you are a wolf. And the Bible says that we are to shoot wolves. They don't play with sheep. And so you might say, well, that's not love. That's not grace. That's not mercy. Really? So you're telling me that you would cover your kid in blood and send them next door to play with your neighbor's pit bull and Rottweiler? I don't think so. 
Wolves do not get to play with the sheep. It never ends well. And so the most loving thing we can do for a wolf is 1 Corinthians 5. Deliver them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in hopes that he or she in the end might be saved. And without accountability in Christian community, wolves freely roam. They find their way in amongst the sheep and sheep are injured and sometimes they die. We need accountability. We have to have it. And if we don't, the wolves run rampant. And we are devoured. So, all right, biblically, what does all of this look like? We don't want to be spectators and simply watch. We don't want to be referees and simply spend our days calling fouls, but we want to be in it. So how, how do we do this thing correctly? First uh, Thessalonians 4. Verse 1. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So Paul writes to the Christians at Thessalonica, he says, how you ought to live and please God. So Paul makes clear that there is a specific way in which we are called to walk. So what is that? What does that look like? Verse 3, For this is the will of God for your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you now concerning brotherly love you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia but we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Okay, so this is, in a nutshell, Paul outlining what is a life pleasing to God. This is the very things that we need accountability in. Holiness, Purity, love, humility, hard work, and a life above reproach, even amongst outsiders. These are all the things he hits on in verses 3 through 11 in 1 Thessalonians 4. These are the things that we narrow in on. These are the things that we need to look at in our own lives and be looking at in the lives of one another as we offer accountability, as we seek accountability. This comes in two ways. First, accountability 
is sought after. First and foremost, above everything else, the Christian should be making their heart known to others by sharing temptations and admitting specific sins. Now, interestingly, most of us would find it easier to confess our sin to God, who is holy and sinless, than we would to a brother or sister who likewise lives as a sinner. But that can only mean one thing, probably. When that is our focus, when we simply say, well, I've, I've confessed to God, I'm, I'm good, I don't need to, nobody else needs to know about this. First of all, you probably understand nothing of the holiness of God and must ask yourself seriously if you've not been deceiving yourself with a so-called confession to God, which in reality might simply be a confession of sin to yourself, granting you nothing more than self-forgiveness, which will never break us away from sin. So I'm not suggesting here that we keep a list of our sins and we tell someone each day, or that we erect a confessional booth so that everyone can come and tell one of us and we absolve you of, our, of your sin. It doesn't work that way, and that's not what we're getting at here. But rather that we see the Christian life is an open book to other Christians. Sharing our sin struggles seeking help and prayer and exhortation from others. So confession is not a law, but it's a help to us. It's a help to us in our sin as sinners that God has given to us for our good. So why would we not use this great means? Martin Luther thought, that confessing sin to others was so important that he wrote this. He wrote, When I admonish you to confession, I am admonishing you to be a Christian. It is an integral part of the Christian life. We put aside this idea that we are walking in some kind of perfection. We're not. I don't think any of us would say that. We believe that. But... The very fact that we share nothing of our hearts with anyone else tends to articulate that quite well on its own. Another quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes, Confession in the presence of a brother is the profoundest kind of humiliation. It hurts. It cuts a man down. It is a dreadful blow to pride. To stand there before a brother as a sinner is a disgrace that is almost unbearable. In the confession of concrete sins, the old man dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. Because this humiliation is so hard, we continually scheme to evade confessing to a brother. Our eyes are so blinded that they no longer see the promise and the glory in such abasement. 
So what is the promise and the glory? That we share in the cross of Christ. And in so doing, we emerge as a new man, as a new creation. And so we stand before the judge and are called not guilty because of the righteousness of Christ. And so as we confess our sins, as we are accountable to others in our sin, we rejoice with them. We join with them as those in need of the cross. And we share that experience of the old man dying away, shedding the sin and walking in the newness of life. So first and foremost, we as individual Christians must seek accountability. We need that in our lives. Secondly, accountability is provided when we see others in sin or when we see them saying or doing things in a very unwise manner. Part of the covenant we make with each other here at Ephesus Church is, should you be found in sin, I will, in the most loving and affectionate manner, point you back to the truth of God's Word. So, as a body of believers, we've agreed with one another to do that very thing. Now, let me be very clear for all of us. You are your brother's keeper. You tracking? You are your brother's keeper. So we lovingly and graciously go after one another. We do Matthew 7. We take the log out of our own eyes so we can see the speck in our brother's eye as to not be a hypocrite. And we go to him with a desire to see Christ honored. To see the truth upheld. To, if necessary, accomplish restoration. And by doing so, we're working for the sanctification and the holiness of our brothers and sisters. So sometimes that might be something really simple, like a, a quick email to say, hey, you, you might want to be careful how you, you word something next time, just to help them in wisdom. Or maybe it's a, it's a phone call and saying, hey, hey, brother, you said something the other day, and I just wanted to make sure that I'm understanding you correctly, because it didn't sound quite right to me. Or perhaps it's taking someone out to lunch or coffee or something and saying, Brother, I keep hearing you make comments about your wife. Oh, the old ball and chain. She saves gas. She rides a broom. She could burn water. Whatever it is. Uh, bro, you keep saying, are, is everything okay? Look, the Bible says he who has a wife, he who finds a wife, finds a good thing. You need to love your wife better, bro. This is accountability. This is us going to one another and helping each other see we're off the path. And this is good for us. This is good for both parties involved. Here's why this is so important. Three verses. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us, 
but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Matthew 7.14, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." This is why accountability is so important. Because one of the greatest means that God has given us that we would persevere to the end is one another. That not one of us would stand before the Father and say, Lord, I I went to church every Sunday. I taught Sunday school. I read my Bible Every year, all the way through. I read good books. And Jesus says, your heart was far from me. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. That's a frightening thought. It is a devastating thought. And so God gives us one another, that we not go out from amongst the body, but that we stay tied to one another, that we stay accountable to one another, that we would be walking on the narrow road. It's hard, but it leads to life. Those who find it are few. Accountability is that we are numbered amongst the few. And so in the end, you have got to see that accountability is for our joy. It's for our joy. I said last week, sometimes we look at the commands of God and we think of them as a drudgery or that He's putting something on us to make us miserable. (laughs) But God tells us time and time again that all that He commands for us is for our good. We're not doing Him any favors. And so when sin is exposed and all of us are held accountable, sin loses its power. And sin can no longer destroy individuals and sin can no longer destroy the fellowship of the church because it's exposed and it's being dealt with properly. So the great joy of accountability is knowing that since I will fail and since I will fall into temptation and since you will fail and fall into temptation and since I will continue to sin in this life that I can stand in the fellowship of other sinners who, like me, are in desperate need of the cross of Christ. And we cannot escape that. 
Not as a push to get over the hump on the last day, but as our all in all. That we, without Christ, are nothing and fully deserving of eternal condemnation. And so we walk together as sinners who don't need to hide, who don't need to fear. And together we enjoy the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But what is that? He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the grace of God in Christ Jesus. He took that very sin already. Consider that. He took that very sin already. Not yet confessed. Already punished in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus. Placed it on Him. Made Him to be sin. Him who knew no sin. Perfect, holy, blameless. Made Him to be sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. That we might stand before the judge, not in a spirit of fear and timidity, but confidently. Not because of us, not because we're sinless and and perfect, because we are not, but because we recognize that without Christ, we have nothing. But with Christ, we have everything. And we do that together. We have to get to a place, all of us with each other, where we openly confess, I am a sinner. I need grace. I need grace from you. And that comes from God and Him alone. That we can stand with confidence because He became sin on our behalf. That we are granted righteousness. There is no other hope. There is no other hope. That frees us up to be open books. To stop pretending and to start living with one another. Let's pray. Father, we want life more abundantly. We want joy in the hard things. We want satisfaction in knowing that you have given us a gift in one another. The church is not a place, and it's not even just a people who gets together once or twice a week. But it's a people whom you have redeemed and have called out and have set on a journey together. Help us, God. Not just in running ahead or falling behind, but help us, God, to 
take one another by the hand, to offer our shoulder to carry one another when needed, because we all have the same standing at the cross. We all have the same need at the cross. Father, help us to walk in lives that are accountable to you and to one another. As we see each other, we don't simply see acquaintances, that we don't see just friends. We see people who we want to know us and whom we want to know. Help us get over the fear. Help us to overcome the anxiety of being known so that we can truly live. Help us to stop being spectators and for some to stop being referees, always looking to cry foul, but help us to get in it. Help us to strive and to work and to dig and to constantly be committed to walking the narrow path to the narrow gate that we would enter the joy of our Master in the great celestial city together. Build us as community. Build us as a family of faith that loves you and that loves one another. And in so doing, that we would be known for that love. And that we would do great things for the kingdom because we're not wrapped up in pretending. We're not wrapped up in putting on a production. But we're living life as sinners in need of grace. All of grace for our joy. Amen.